Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. I was there for about nine or ten months, I think, over winter, so it was extremely dark, and it was. But the first, like you would work there, the first thing you would do in the morning would, you would get on the the four wheel drive and go and pick birch leaves and moss and all sorts of. And bad um, <laughs> juniper things, and yeah, so it was such a different way to work, and it was so small amount of guests, and everything hand picked and very much done to order. It was beautiful, mm. but then at the same time, it was somewhat frustrating that you had you had this enormous window in the kitchen looking at all the scooters. <laughs> so you were, were working really hard. But you were looking, and I think that was where I really made this transition. I was running a little bit prior to that, but living up there and running almost every day. In we lived in a village called Huso on the backside of Oreskuten, um, so I was running quite a lot around the mountains and the trails there. And then in the end, it got a little bit painful going to work and looking at the mountain all day long. I first met Billy White at a book release event at Rosendals Trägård, where I was asked to perform a short Q&A with the authors. Billy, one of the authors, is also the head chef at Rosendals. The two books being released was Moon Valley Diaries by Emily Forsberg, Ida Nilsson and Mimi Kotka, and Billy's own book Eat, Run, Enjoy, both now available on Gavel Publishing. Billy White was a perfect fit for Husky, a passionate and dedicated runner with a very interesting specialty. He is a top chef with experience from the kitchens of Guide Michelin star restaurants such as Saint John in London, Noma in Copenhagen, restaurant Matthias Dahlgren in Stockholm, and the almost mythical Färviken in Åre. Billy is also nominated as Trail Runner of the Year 2019 by Trail Running Sweden. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is episode 31 of the international series of the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet. If you want to know more about this episode, get all the links to Billy's book, Eat, Run, Enjoy. Head over to huskypodcast.com. You can also find Husky on Facebook and Instagram at the handle Husky Podcast. Yes. <clears throat> uh, so I just saw that you're nominated on trail running... Uh, what was it called? Trail running Sweden. Yeah, trail running Sweden. They they've uh, nominated you. Yeah, um, 
I was, yeah, I was a little bit of a... I was tagged into a post and I wasn't really sure why. And then when reading down, I was... You saw a familiar face. I saw a familiar face, yeah. (laughs) Um, I can't remember what it was called. What was it called? Prestation. Yeah. Yeah, which is really nice. It's nice to... Yeah, nice to be to be noticed, I suppose. Nice. Yeah. To, yeah. But you have been affiliated with them for some time, right? Yeah, I started where just over two years ago. I contacted them to see whether they would be interested in in working together or doing printing some recipes and somewhat of like a journal kind of of like training. The food I like to cook and eat with training, plus maybe a little bit of race um, reports, race reports, and yeah, what's coming up, and mm-hmm. something a little bit more like race reports. I I read because I'm a bit nerdy, but they can be a little bit painful. So it was nice to mix it up with food, which is hopefully <laughs> a little bit less painful. To <laughs> yeah. but w- was that now? I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but um, was that kind of the start of your book project yeah it was after a few months of doing these recipes then i got contacted by the the publishers gavel <laughs> and um just and here we are and here we are exactly <laughs> yeah um where is home to you Oof. i mean currently what do you say wherever i lay my <laughs> but um um I'm, i live in i live in aspen Anspey, just south of Stockholm, and I mean that's where my wife and two kids, and I've been here for ten years, so <laughs> so it's home, I guess. Yeah. But I mean the, the I don't know spiritually, it I don't know. It's hard to say. I've moved around a lot in my life. This is the longest I've been anywhere since mm. I was a kid, so it's hard. To, it is home, but there's other places. I I've spent a lot of time in the Alps when I was a. Uh, in my early 20s snowboarding and doing ski seasons and uh, I spend a lot of time quite a lot of time in the Lake District now I come from York originally in the north of England so that's uh, that is um, another home yeah uh, what was it like growing up in York York is pretty nice like I grew up just outside a small mm. village I went to an, a nice school and it was fun like it I had an I, there's it's it's a fairly boring landscape it's pretty flat in a le- in the vale of york but there was like we i don't know typical growing up in the 80s we were out a lot on the bikes and having fun and getting up to no good and but is it asphalt concrete was that a big part of your childhood asphalt and no we i mean I, the village i grew up in was surrounded by a farmer's field so we spent a lot of time mm. like out playing football I was obsessed with football for a long time and then as like I got into my sort of early teens I became really into skateboarding so so I spent a lot of time traveling from the age of like I don't know 13 14 going into the to York the center which is this historical old Viking Viking city so terrible for skateboarding (laughs) (laughs) like cobbled cobbled streets and yeah so (laughs) and um and then traveling around a lot like that was the main thing I did for quite a lot of years Hmm. yeah like um not uh not professionally but as a lifestyle sort of yeah definitely definitely Mm. we knew a lot of people in like the north of England is is, as much as it's a lot of people it was quite a tight you got to know people in the surrounding towns and and uh, 
yeah, it was a definitely a lifestyle. And uh, and I, I'm I'm guessing that was your ticket into snowboarding as well. Definitely. Mm. So as soon as I I I went, I, my first experience on snow was at a dry ski slope in Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the plastic one the plastic yeah. extremely painful yeah, I can imagine to All, fall on yeah horrific mm-hmm. um, so I did a snowboarding lesson when I was I don't know 14 or something mm-hmm. and then the next opportunity was when I I not long after I started catering school cooking school I stopped doing in school and went and did a ski season in, 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 in Meribel instead. Where? <laughs> in Meribel, in uh, the three valleys in France. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when it comes to like sports and stuff, that was you were more of more of the skater kid than the the football club kid. I played football for some years until I found skateboarding. I mm-hmm. think it became a, and I, I mean I tried every. I'm not good when it comes to coordination football co- I was terrible at football mm. I was pretty terrible at skateboarding really um, <laughs> and tennis I was stubborn. terrible at and a bit stubborn and <laughs> but and and but I enjoyed yeah I enjoyed these things but I was definitely not naturally gifted at but I can imagine that uh, we talked about skateboarding before this interview and since I grew up in the forest um, I'm not a skateboarder <laughs> but but so I have no experience uh, when it comes to that but I can imagine that it's when it comes to if, if you would look on skateboarding as a workout it can be a pretty tough workout definitely yeah. definitely you're and staying like, fit with skateboard right yeah for sure I'm like we would be especially like in like late teens you'd get you'd go out at first thing in the morning and skate all day long mm. or like literally like yes it, it was a super workout you mm. there's not many unfit skateboarders that's no. for sure mm. maybe the lifestyle af- outside of skateboarding could leave some <laughs> some <laughs> thing to be desired but the skateboarding is a really good exercise um here in sweden we have the uh, uh the term friluftsliv as you as you know um what was your relation to friluftsliv like life spent like spending life outdoors as a kid or as growing up i we didn't really have one to be completely honest it wasn't uh it was as when i was very very small um my parents come from london and we moved they moved up before i was born to york and my dad struggled to get work in the early 80s when it was uh, and he spent a lot of time like we as as i was a very small child we spent a lot of time walking the dogs around the the village and outside into the fields and he used to hunt with dogs when when you were allowed coursing for hares so i'd often wake up in the morning and there'd be like rabbits and hares hanging from the 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 back of the door and so like we definitely had some sort of relationship Mm. with that side of things and then then when my, my parents split up and i don't know it wasn't something that it wasn't something that we spent too much time with unfortunately i think um but what are your thoughts now because you have you have two kids now in sweden even even though they're still quite small but your thoughts on the swedish outdoor life like it's um because it at least it used to be especially for me growing up it was definitely a, a big part of our upbringing um um do you think that's very uh 
uh, if if you look at it as a, as an Englishman? I think it's fantastic. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoy the fact that we're like here. The, you see so many people outside. You pick the kids up in the pouring rain in the pitch black at first schooler, and they're outside. And they're like at the first schooler that Mimi, our daughter, lives uh, goes to. She, they have a terrible uteplatz, so they go two times every day. They're out in the woods and mm. around, and to get. I mean, I think it. I think it's fantastic. And my my wife, she comes from Sundsvall. Her family are all from Jämtland, and they're like hard and free lifts lifers that waking up in the waking up uh, uh, as a kid to find to find dead hairs hanging from the door was that kind of something that's that that later became your career in the kitchen at that at that time that they would no not really my my At the time, my parents were not so interested in cooking, the, so the, the more into killing, more into killing. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, but the hares would go to the dogs, and they were. I mean, it was a different time then, so I think people thought about things in a different way, kind of. Um, my my parents weren't particularly interested in food. My grandmother, who lived in the same, she moved. My grandmother and grandfather moved up from from London at the same time, mm-hmm. so I spent a lot of time with them, mm. um, and they were. B- She was a fantastic cook, but very simple food like pie and mash. Mm, shepherd's and, pie, and stuff. yeah, exactly. But like with <coughs> everything made from scratch, fish and chips on a Saturday lunchtime with the d- little deep fryer and like, re- but really good, mm. good solid. Mm. And I think that sparked some sort of interest, definitely. And mm. but the idea of becoming a chef was definitely that was more accidental than than was it like. W- I'm not. I'm not familiar with the with the with the British school system, but uh, like choosing what 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 to what classes to take in in high school, for instance, uh, the prejudice would be that uh, well, if I if I study something like um, which is it cater catering yeah catering yeah it's like yeah it's 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 a simple choice yeah was was that the case for you yeah I think it was a little bit like it wasn't you more than more that than passion. Definite, and uh, it was easy. It was definitely nobody in the top of the class was aiming for catering school. Absolutely not. You mm. can tell that by by the, the classmates. And, <laughs> and I mean, I was te- I wasn't academically. I'm yeah. not at all academically <coughs> suited. I get, but I'm too hyperactive. I get bored mm. very quickly. It's the same when I went to SFE three times. I was couldn't handle it at all it was so um, Swedish for immigrants yeah, yeah exactly which as you can see by we're doing this English <laughs> it's interview in English it's, um, but what was I saying the yeah so cooking was I signed up my intention was to do A-levels which I guess is the like at the schooling system you finish school at 16 and then you there's an at the time it was a optional two years where you could do A-levels or you could do something a bit more hands-on like an apprenticeship Mm -hmm. Um, my intention was to do A-levels in sociology philosophy and psychology and about three weeks before There was some before I was supposed to start. There was a there was a catering. I don't know what it, it was like an apprenticeship. You could go and see what the options were. So plumbers and electricians and and um, there was cooking there. And I ended up putting my name down for cooking. At the time, I'd been working as a dishwasher for two years in the local pub and kind of enjoyed it. I suppose. Mm. Um, like the atmosphere. 
the atmosphere was good fun <laughs> um and working evenings was fun and it was a we worked with friends like it, it was a it was it was fairly i never really thought much of it mm. and then the reality i spoke to my mother and the reality that i was never going to sit down and listen to psychology sociology and philosophy age 16 years old for two years so i took the i took the step into the kitchen but at what point at what point did you uh kind of realized that you had a a passion or a talent for it i i don't really know like i was i was fortunate that my first job in the kitchen was a restaurant called middlethorpe hall in york which at the time was really really good and i'd never heard of it it was too it was out of our class it was it was a different league the chef was a young guy who'd worked in three michelin star restaurants in london and was extremely extremely focused um but i didn't know what I, i didn't even know what a pineapple was i walked in completely stupid with a giant hat on and a th- scarf around my neck and <laughs> didn't know anything um and i did it for a, i did it for i think 18 months something like that before going to do the ski season when i i stepped out of the kitchen for a little while and pretended to that i did, had no cooking experience and went back to being a dishwasher because you had the best time on the mountain when you were a dishwasher <laughs> but but coming in um working in a in a kitchen like that was it just chopping onions for 18 months it was picking spinach chopping onions peeling garlic it was and but it was also there was this camaraderie i know the 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 writer anthony bourdain who recently passed away yeah. he always talked about this like pirate ship kind of and it was like that like it was it was wild it was like an eye opener it was really rock, rock and roll in a in in a way but, but did they also take you in and like did you learn something from like eventually i think mm-hmm. it took a little bit of time there was a lot of it was it was in it was in 1997 i think and it was different time it was tough it was a really hard place to work you worked i got paid 60 pounds a week and i worked 60 hours a week mm. so it was the equivalent of what 11 crowns an hour or something <laughs> and um they cooked beautiful food at the time i didn't really realize but i liked eating all the all the scraps that were left over and and um and things but yeah i definitely learned something but at the same time i was so young that i didn't appreciate that i was anyway good if that makes sense i wanted to go snowboarding and i wanted to see friends and i wa- i was a bit upset that i couldn't skateboard as much as i would have liked that <laughs> was so it took some years i think i was 21 i'd done a couple more ski seasons and i went to eat in a restaurant in um in my hometown that was also a very good one and sitting down and eating this plate of food that was really exceptional it sort of made me realize aha this is why this is why people stand for 12 hours a day getting screamed at by egotistical maniacs <laughs> it's because this plate of food and it that changed so from that point i sort of stepped away from the 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 snowboarding and the the I, i don't know i'd started to take it a little bit more seriously and became important to me but 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 seeing that played and and and, and eating that food did you start to kind of uh, uh um like kind of decode the plate that you were eating like ah oh, so they probably done this uh, in order to to get it like that and, like did did you did you was that your first experience trying to kind of reverse engineer a dish or something I think it was more the the actual the 
it was just the being it was the food was one thing the food was delicious but the environment sitting there with a glass of wine with okay. with people that you like the environment a buzzy restaurant and like you could under because i've been to restaurants but never never to that level of restaurant never experienced something that tasted that good with such good wine and such good it was a real it was sort of the the senses awakening more than decoding anything that came a little bit further down the line i think um like we will we will focus on 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 running and 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 also eating of course and and and, and cooking food but if you would kind of try to uh describe your like briefly your your career as a chef because something happened and you've ended up working at kind of spectacular places that not a lot of people working in the kitchen will ever get to work there so something must have happened and and what drove you to to embark on that career i think it was it was that was like the epiphany moment having that plate of food there was a realization that this is this is this is really good this is worth something this means something and then from that point onwards i started to i focused really hard while I was at work and then reading more and learning more this was sort of pre-internet really or very very basic it wasn't quite pre-internet but very basic internet when it came to food so you would write, read the Michelin guide and you would read certain things and you'd read magazines and find out and then it was just a case of I went I moved up to one other restaurant that was a bit better and then from there I went to a restaurant that had a Michelin star thinking that that was c- completely out of the realms of what's reasonable for me you know you always think of this as mm. this is an unattainable mm. after being there you realize that it wasn't unattainable um so it sort of it opened up that you realized that you could <coughs> it was possible to go to these places it was possible to not just read about these places you just needed to to go <laughs> you needed and, to and, and i guess it's also a matter of confidence like like now you knew you now you you were aware of your that you you had skills yeah i think so yeah. i think so and also i was aware that i was missing skills so it was not to not be afraid of um mm. to not be afraid of stepping into a, being uncomfortable mm. and that was something i've been uncomfortable all the way through my career until i got comfortable and then it was often time to move on uh but what did at at that point like what did you strive for you were you were young and you were kind of hungry and you you just kind of discovered your your mission in life i yeah. guess yeah so I, where did you picture yourself like? i'm not really sure to be honest i mean you read these magazines or you bought these fancy glossy books full of all these fancy chefs and it was definitely like it would be nice to be one but it was more that it was it was more the food it was the in, it wasn't so much the the like standing there with three michelin stars on your chest as like as this super chef it was more the food was so important the food things that tasted good it was like it was more about the craft and then and then from then would start reading more historical books and learning more about food history and then different cuisines and like this endless i mean it's still endless now you i can, like read i have hundreds of cookbooks at home and <laughs> different cuisines and and you realize that you don't i don't know anything yet i've been doing it for 22 years <laughs> <laughs> have you have you developed oh i guess you have developed like a certain style what like first what is your style and 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 when did you start to kind of establish your style of cooking 
I guess I'm not. I mean, my style I would like to say is kind of common sense. It's it's a few things on a plate that are quite well selected that go well together. Um, try and use the best produce that you can afford. Um, and not mess around with it too much, I suppose. I, and uh, that that came. I worked for a chef called Fergus Henderson in London, who who coined the phrase in the early nineties, "nose to tail cooking." And we used to work our way through the whole animal. So you would use the fillet and the the entrecot and all the fancy stuff, but you would also use the tail and the tre- feet and the, so everything would be used. And, and that, it, that's kind of pre. Uh climate crisis thinking as well yeah mm-hmm. i think so and, and it's uh, it, but it's also interesting that it's really relevant now but it was also it's a way of cooking that that centuries old that's what people would do mm-hmm. and i think it's but it's so much common sense so like fergus would never write the provenance of the pork on the menu or he would never say it comes from this farm or that farm or this is organic he always used to say if the if the the diners are coming here they should trust mm. we're a good restaurant and we have our standards and we don't need to name drop because rest c- diners at St John know that we're and they had to trust us mm. and we were trustworthy and it was really nice that sort of honesty there was no I think so that's something that's lived with me stronger than anywhere else I've ever worked definitely and I would definitely say I'm like a disciple of disciple of Ferguson St. John. It's more that style than the, I try to think of the name, but this uh, Barcelona chemical. Definitely. It's, yeah. it's, you're more yeah. into uh, like uh, a, a classic dish. Yeah, I think well so. Well made, but, but no foam and like dry ice no, kind of definitely no, no. not so much dry ice going on <laughs> <laughs> I'm just freestyling here. I don't know if that's the way you do it no but, but that's how that was a big thing for a okay, period yeah, yeah definitely but no it's not not for me <laughs> <laughs> um, then coming to Sweden like how did that happen I was working at St. John at the time in London and um there was a big there was a lot of noise coming from Scandinavia from a food perspective um i had friends who were working at a <coughs> restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen and um and also Fergus won the White Guide International Chef or something, I can't remember the name. And he came over and cooked a dinner at Matthias Tolgren in Stockholm. So when I when they came back they talked very highly of, of Matthias and the food there and and how nice a guy he was. So so I looked into it and I went to Noma in Copenhagen and I went to um to Matthias Dahlgren just for some some weeks to get a feel for whether I wanted to move on and come to Scandinavia like working in the like you came there to kind of practice in their kitchen yeah for a while. exactly exactly and um, I liked it very much at Noma but it was it was a little bit more aggressive a little bit younger guys who were really pushing to, to be the best they were the best pushing to be the best in the world and they became the best in the world mm-hmm. and Matthias was a bit he was a bit more calm a little a bit more Swedish I guess <laughs> a little bit more easygoing and extremely good quality food but then also while I was staying there I was staying with an old friend of mine and her best friend is Christine who is now my wife so it was somewhere between food and love which I <laughs> guess is, is a good thing to take it on that's the name of your next book somewhere <laughs> in between food and food and love <laughs> <laughs> the memoirs of Billy White. <laughs> you can have that as a gift from Thank me. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, w- 
if we would talk a bit about similarities and differences between food and cooking in in Sweden and in in England. I would say historically the food is quite similar. It's Northern European, it's working cultures, so it's a lot of potato, it's meat, it's heavy, heavy. A lot of brown food. Yeah, exactly. It's sustenance. <laughs> and you can see it. I mean, they're, they're different, but they're very similar in ingredient-wise <coughs> and flavor-wise. And so there's... But, of course, they're different, but not too different, I don't think. And I think I, England gets a terrible reputation from the Jamie Oliver programs that were hugely successful over here when they were <laughs> eating terrible. But generally, the food in Britain isn't all that bad. And and the same, in, I mean, the food in Stockholm and the food in Sweden is great, or it's also really bad in some places too. So it's very Depends. much... It's, it's all a matter of what kind of story one tells. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the food cultures are both fairly... New, they're not foodie countries. It's not like you go to Italy or f- France or Spain where they, we have these huge cultures revolving around food. I think Britain and Sweden have a similar, similar reference points, mm-hmm. similarly new food countries. Somewhere along the line, you ended up at a at this mythical place called Fäviken. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What was your first experience of of Fäviken? I was um f- I f- we just had our f- our son and um Christine was on Marmaladeg um and Fairviken was there was whispers of this restaurant for a couple of maybe about 18 months and you couldn't find anything about it it was was some unheard of <laughs> strange place um but we'd spent some time in in Jämtland cuz that's where my wife's family's from and we drove to Fairviken just to see um and it looked wonderful and i i put feelers out whether they were looking for any staff and at the time they weren't and maybe a few months later we were actually we'd been in Jämtland we spent some time in Åre and at Christine's family in in Rödan and we were just driving back to Stockholm somewhere around Hista stuck in a traffic jam for two and a half hours at the end of summer horrific that time when you don't want the summer holidays to ever end <laughs> and all of a sudden i got a phone call from magnus nielsen asking or was was interested in was wondering if i was still interested in a in a in a job so i we pretty much turned the car right around and drove back to <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it like working there it was beautiful mm. it was a really beautiful location a little bit but we were there for I was there for about nine or ten months I think over winter so it was extremely dark and it was but the first like you would work there the first thing you would do in the morning would you would get on the the four-wheel drive and go and pick birch leaves and moss and all sorts of enbear um <laughs> juniper things and yes yeah, so it was such a different way to work and it was so small amount of guests and everything hand-picked and very much done to order it was beautiful mm. but then at the same time it was somewhat frustrating that you had you had this enormous window in the kitchen looking at order skuten <laughs> so you were working really hard but you were looking and i think that was where i really made this transition i was running a little bit prior to that but living up there and i running almost every day in we lived in a village called huso on the backside of oreskuten um so i was running quite a lot around the mountains and the trails there and then in the end it got a little bit painful going to work and looking at the mountain all day long when huso is such a beautiful place 
such a beautiful village and like you hardly ever go there but if you do it's like like literally like every house is like wow yeah wow really and it's so quiet there yeah and i get the feeling that it's like the average age, age is probably like 80 i think we dropped the age when the three yeah. but we, well, our son was only six months at the time so oh. he dropped the age quite dramatically <laughs> but it was yeah i think about 80 at the same time though there was a brewery that was just opening in the school oh, yeah. or a big company at mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. so that dropped so there was all of a sudden there was an influx of an influx of people <laughs> under the age of 40 <laughs> moving in which, which i don't think had ever happened since the yeah the copper mine yeah. in 1740 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's beautiful but it's like so if you listen to this and and, and the next time you're in order doesn't matter if it's summertime or wintertime just just go there it's it's worth it it's yeah. nice. very good off-pist uh areas as well yeah so if you hike up a bit it's very nice um when did running enter your life i was working at at grand from uh, from matthias dahlgren i was around 30 i was getting a little bit fat i stopped smoking when i left london and i needed to change I just felt like it was time to to move a little bit. This this restaurant life, especially restaurant life in London, is fairly. You work a lot of hours. You spend the time out of the kitchen, eating and drinking, and a lot of pints. A lot of pints. I think I was fueled by by Guinness for for <laughs> several years. So it was. I felt like it was time to 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 move a little bit. So a friend of mine was coming to Stockholm to run the half marathon I think in 2011 and I think three or four months before he he called me up and asked if I fancied running it and I'd never run more th- since school I hadn't run anything so I'd I'd precariously accepted his challenge and set about trying to run a half marathon but how did you uh, um how did you approach it like um was it was it just a a, um, a means to an end like you wanted to you, you realized that you needed to get fit it was about health it was not about like pleasure of some kind i think at the moment at the beginning it was absolutely not pleasurable it was just painful it was certainly but then also but it didn't take very long for that pain to subside, subside and start to become a bit pleasurable i remember the first time running i think like 13 kilometers after work one night and it was dark and had had like pitch black listening to music and it something happened like i could felt like i could go further and i think yeah something happened it became pleasurable rather quickly that was your uh, the running equivalent moment of the, the time in england when you sat down and had this uh, uh, meal with wine, and you kind of realize, okay, so this is what. Could yeah, be yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> I guess it was. Yeah. Um, but but, uh, what did the running community look like back then? Because the social media had started to become a thing, and you had like trail running and that entire scene. Like, and and you were familiar with the mountains from from your time in seasons in the Alps and so on. Like, when did you discover? like trail running and running in the mountains we at first i i didn't pay too much attention to it i ran the the half marathon 
and I survived. And then the natural progression for me was to just sign up to the marathon. So the following year, I did the Stockholm Marathon. Um, whilst training for that, I read this book, Born to Run, which sort of, which I think a lot of people, there's a whole generation of people inspired yeah. by Born to Run. Um, and that was really interesting. It opened your eyes to things that you didn't know existed. This level of, like, I think extreme is a, is a fairly horrible word, but this like, I don't know, people doing interesting things. Mm. And and I, so I ran the marathon and at the same time, one of my good friends moved from York to the Lake District in the northwest mm. of England. Um, and we talked for some time about um, doing the, there's a coastal path, not, well, a coast to coast path um, from St. Bees in Cumbria going to Yorkshire to a, ta- a small town called Robin Hood's Bay. Um, like a marked trail? It's a, it's an unmarked, okay, okay. but uh, mm-hmm. like an unofficial yep. trail of mm-hmm. about 190 k- miles, which is what, 300 kilometres, give or take, um, which translated into seven marathons in seven days. Um, so at the time, we decided to... to we thought we'd give it a go, so we'd we raised some money for a charity, and we, af- I think this was this was in summer two thousand and thirteen, so one year after. So Chris has always been a very strong runner and really into the into the the trails and the outdoors, and I was I don't know not so much because I've been so into cooking for such a long time. Um, so, but we trained. And we started to do this. We we started this coast to coast run. That was a big. That I guess that changed. That sort of changed everything. Um, <coughs> as a chef, um, did you did you only see food as something? Was it just flavor and experience on a plate? Did you ever think of food as something more, like kind of a holistic approach to it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like the way runner Billy started to change the chef Billy. Like, if it if it if it helped you to kind of start seeing food as something past the plate. I think it took some time. But it definitely the thing, and I think it was also during that during that week because that was a fairly intense week. For a, we were both Chris had run a lot, but we were definitely not experienced enough to run seven marathons in seven days. On I think it was at ten thousand vertical meters over the course of a week for two fairly novice runners. So we started off eating like sausage rolls and crisps and sandwiches, but the and full English breakfasts at <laughs> before starting there was no like nutritional thought but then by the end of the week we realized that salad at lunchtime and <laughs> fish at dinner time and different things a little bit more lighter a little bit more nutritious made a big difference mm. so I mean we weren't completely I mean, you always have an idea about the nutritious side of things to some extent, but that week was a very big learning curve. Mm, started to connect the dots. Yeah, definitely. By the way, Pass the Plate, is that the title of your third book? Possibly. Yeah. Pass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you pulled that off, the, the Coast to Coast Challenge. Just. It was a hard, mm. it was heartland, there was a lot took a long time to recover but it was that was hard like the second to last day we 
we struggled. Chris couldn't walk, couldn't run downhill, so he had to walk downhill backwards, <laughs> walking back there. And it, yeah, it was it was a it was a t- it was a beautiful. It was an amazing week. We spent uh, a lot of hours outside, which is something that you don't really do, like from morning till night, basically, crossing and crossing the whole country. Is yeah, it's I mean, and it's really like earning your spurs. I mean, you could you could. Um, you could you could walk up straight after that once the fatigue and pain left the bu- left yeah, your legs. You yeah, really I think so. Yeah, I think so. Call yourself a, a, a proper runner. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think. And then after that, that was when I started looking into a little bit more longer distance races and started to think about these ultra runs and and trail more trail. I haven't I hadn't run from the 2012 road marathon. I hadn't run a road race really until until this year. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, what is running for you today? What what type of runner are you? I I think for a long time I would have identified myself as a ultra runner or trail runner, but I think now I would just identify myself as a runner. Mm. <laughs> I, I enjoy running ten k's on the road. I enjoy running to work and back, but I enjoy running hundred mile trail races or hill repeats on Hammerby Backen or <laughs> like I don't I think I enjoy it all and mm-hmm. uh, running on the track on a Sunday morning at seven o'clock mm. as much as it's somewhat monotonous it's kind of enjoyable mm. I think it yeah I think and that's something that's really over the last 18 months and actually since the book since the beginning of the book I would have always I was a I would get around I was stubborn and I was capable of finishing but I was never very good and I think when the, when the book project came about, I really got something between my teeth that I needed to... I could start... I was confident as a chef. I've worked in good restaurants, I'm, and I'm I'm a good cook. I'd, and I can say that without ego. That's, it's just a fact. Whereas from a running perspective, 
I don't think I could have said I was a good runner, but I was a stubborn runner <laughs> who wouldn't. And and so in the last 18 months whilst making the book, I've also worked really hard to try and become the best runner I am because it felt important that if if I was to make a book and, and to... It's not so much advice in the book, but it's a lot of things are written from my perspective because I wrote it. Mm. It was important to me that I was as good as I could be. Um, where do where do your thoughts wander when you run, and is that uh, dependent on the surroundings? Like you, you talked about doing track sessions or running hills uh, hill sessions in in Hammarbybacken or long trail runs and so on. Is it is it different mindsets or? Yeah, I think so. Like the the commute to work, I, I try and run th- three or four days to work and back. Um, then it's a it's generally a podcast, and it's I may as well be sat on the tube. I don't think about anything. I just yeah. get to work and get back, and it's kind of nice. But it it does allow for there's some endorphins when I get to work, and there's some endorphins when I get home from work. But and then if I'm running trails, I never ever listen to music. I'm always trying to be a little bit more present and first from a, a it's an, I don't know you get to grasp your surroundings a little more but also for the I think it's for the soul it's good to think and digest what's going on in life and and yeah just let your thoughts wander kind of yeah exactly um you, you said that you were stubborn uh is that your because I I sometimes I ask um my guess what their reactor looks like especially when it comes to the ultra endurance type of guests like if you would try to look into what keeps you moving forward that kind of sometimes it's a ball of glowing light <laughs> is it just pure british british stubbornness I I don't know I think I think as a it's a bit of stubbornness it's a little bit of a, I don't know I've I don't like to think I've got how do you say I don't like to quit if I set out to do something and especially I've got two kids and I've got a wife and it takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of time away from them and not so, the training i do a lot early in the morning so i try and negate that but but the if i go away for a weekend to run 120 kilometers in hogekusten or then I'm, i'm not finishing isn't an option because i've taken that time mm. away from my family it's too so it's selfish for me to go it's even more selfish if it, i don't finish <laughs> and that was the same yeah that's <coughs> been that's been something and also i think i don't want the 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 kids to think of me as somebody who as a quitter yeah i think that's important <laughs> yeah. what it's important for me mm-hmm. um when it comes to specific goals with your running is that um specific races for instance like you said höga kustan you recently did kullamannen i saw online um is that your goals or is it do you have something else like i want to be able to do this and that I think I think at the moment like I feel quite inexperienced as a runner. So I've run if I've run I don't know a handful 10 12 ultra races and various but I would like to experience I enjoy racing I think it's fun. I'd like to see where I'm never going to be elite far from it but I can be at the front of the next wave if that, and I think that's <laughs> that's kind of nice. Um uh 
and I'd like to race the experience of racing is great long term I suspect I will get a bit tired of racing and I'll want to do more like multi-day adventures or just <laughs> like the coast to coast thing you did yeah exactly friend. exactly but while time like with a full-time job with two children with races are perfect you can go away you can do something mm. you don't have to plan you don't have to recce you don't have to you can just put the bib on and get yeah. into a different mindset yeah i think so but i i suspect that that will have a limit that will have a shelf life and from that i i would like to be running for for years and years and years and i think that that then there will be more adventures definitely um i have a, a wrote down a question like if 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 you have like a before and after when it comes to your own awareness of what you eat with regards to running and is that the coast to coast challenge with your friend like when you started to aha uh-huh, kind of realize that bacon makes me feel like this and salad <laughs> makes me feel like that definitely <coughs> i think that was that was uh i mean i can't say i was particularly strict as a from a diet perspective straight after the coast to coast but that was something there was a i started to get a little bit more interested in nutrition and a little bit more interested in or just <coughs> you you put two and two together the feeling of okay this is good and also i've never i eat everything but there's a lot of i don't eat too much of a lot of things also mm. so for instance like I'd, i i i'm not i eat meat but maybe two times a week i mm. i i like bread but i'd find that i'd try and eat good sourdough bread and i'm i'm better if i eat earlier on in the day than than too much before bed mm. um i like to drink but mostly not during a race not during a race <laughs> i have done that there's races where they had the hoga cust and they oh, yeah. they had letter at one of okay, the aid nice. stations mm-hmm. which was quite delicious mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah so it's it's everything it, moderation i think is mm. and if it feels if it doesn't feel good then it's probably not so good um this this is um this is probably kind of a cliche question but uh when does your running end and and the cooking and planning for food begin is have you kind of transcended into a different uh phase where you where you uh um uh, where running um to the extent to the extent that you that you are running um affects what you want to eat and 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 the way the the two are interlinked i guess it i guess to a certain like if if it's a big training week there's cravings for things and the cravings are generally things that your body needs i guess it's the same when you like pregnant pregnant women often crave the things that their body needs and i think it's probably the same if you're having a heavy heavy training week so i try and sort of preempt these things and you'd but generally i i don't know i think it, it works yeah the body tells you to mm. a certain extent mm. um but ha- have you always been good at listening to your body or or has the combination cooking and running has that helped you in any way to be kind of more uh to kind of listen and and and, and know and feel your body better i don't know really i think um I know historically I was not good at listening to my body when mm. you work in 16 hours a day standing up cooking 
I don't know, for 100 hours a week, the body is screaming at you quite <laughs> often to stop. Um, but I think from uh, from now, from a, I, I guess it it's taken some time, mm. and it's easy to not listen to your body. I think that's something where you, from a food perspective, from a sleep, especially from a sleep perspective, I think that's yeah. something. And from a working perspective, like only working in the kitchen, I mean, it's a very physical job as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's also important to listen to your body and signals uh, with that as well. So yeah. It's yeah. Absolutely. Um, w- but is is running affecting your cooking more, or is it vice versa? I would say that run both are somewhat beneficial. I would say. I think if you look at the food that we serve at Rosendal, it's pretty healthy. It's a lot of vegetables. It's a lot of it. It's not so heavy on any pro. Nothing is processed, or if it's processed, <coughs> it's processed by us, or maybe a cheese here and there, and mm. yogurt, or whatever it may be. But I think there's a lightness that suits, that works well if you run, and there's a, there's also like from running to working. I think I'm a better colleague mm. when I run than if I'm injured for a few weeks and I can't run. I think that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> You can you can handle the atmosphere in the kitchen better, and definitely the way you handle stress and everything. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and the same with at home. It's, I'm a definitely a better father and husband mm. when I when when I'm running <laughs> than when I'm. <laughs> um, what is the uh, the difference between good and healthy food and good and healthy food for running? Like, what do you? What do you want to add? Well, like, what do you need to add for it in order to 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 make it? Well, this is really good food for running. I think it's not greatly different. There's one thing. It's one thing. It depends on on how much you run in per week. If you if you train in for a hundred mile race and you run in a hundred to hundred and thirty kilometers every week, then you need to eat a lot, and you need to eat a lot of. Every through the all the what do you say the the nutrition groups yeah. you need a good healthy balanced diet a lot of foods with the different different colors protein whether that's meat or animal based or plant based ideally a good if you if you are a meat eater then there should be plenty of vegetable plant based proteins in in the diet also um, I think it's it's very much what's good for you if you run or what's good for you if you if you just don't do anything is also good for you if you run but it's mm. it's quantities and maybe things are tweaked a little bit i know that often iron can be a, a problem deficiency so there's like a lot of green green cabbage grand kohl or swat kohl or different spinaches are quite heavy on the the leafy greens is often good um Magnesium can be a shortage that's quite high in in peppers and aubergines and um, not you don't necessarily like you can take supplements also and that can be good if you're not if if you don't have a great food interest or but it's not necessary either I don't mm. think. One thing that I you know I, I I just I just made that mistake myself like in in this question that I asked you is that people tend to we all want. Um, general answers that as if there is a method, a diet or something that works for everyone 
well when in when when in in fact that doesn't exist now does it like no. because we're all different and we've all like you've program you've coded your body uh for this and that many years and so on so, so you, the way you react on on your food is probably a bit different from my, how my body will react to it and so on so it's uh Yeah, I, I think that that's that's something. When you listen, you hear this. Uh, there's a lot, especially in the running, the running world. There's a lot of people who talk about the high fat, low carb, ketogenic, and I mean, there's people that seem to be doing really well on that. Yeah. I I don't know, and I I mean, I'm absolutely not science based in any way. I know from my perspective, I don't think it would work for me. And I don't, and I wouldn't recommend it necessarily because I think that carbohydrate is important. But it also, it's what sort of carbohydrate. If you're just eating white bread and white pasta, it's probably not the best, the best mm. way. But occasionally white bread, occasionally white pasta is really good also. It's because it tastes delicious. So, if it makes you happy to have a bowl of pasta once in a while, you shouldn't not. But have you ever? I'm guessing that you have. But have you ever felt like being pulled into because in, in this highly polarized day and age like even the simple stuff like the way we eat the way we train the way we run what we run and everything everything is like oh so you're not a a, a vegan or a, a like you said the keto whatever um it's 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 so it's like people are like really taking sides and like no this is the way to go no that that's wrong and so on and and now we have the documentary the game changers yeah. uh kind of sparking a a debate i think i've i've seen from my perspective yeah um ha- have you ever felt like hijacked or 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 criticized or like pulled into to this i don't think So I, I mean, I I watched the game changes thing, and it's difficult. I still haven't. I still haven't. I think it was difficult to not be somewhat inspired. But mm. then, when looking at the like American football players eating deep fried fake chicken, you think maybe it's not so good in the long term either. So it's a lot of propaganda. It's a and there's propaganda from both sides, and you have to. I mean, politics is full of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Everything, life is full of propaganda. So mm. I mean, it, it and it's a bit of a minefield. So you can easily trick yourself. But I think like standing back and thinking of what's common sense. Like I'm never going to be a quarterback for the whatever they call Oakland Raiders or whatever. But and and, and, and I, I, I don't know. Do not like with this. I think if it if it if you know where it came from, there's a there's a food writer called Michael Pollan, and he, one of his famous quotes is, "Eat food, mostly plants, not too much." And I think that that sort of reference point of it needs to be real you need to recognize where it comes from mm-hmm. if you read the instruction if you read the what do you call it ingredients and and you haven't heard of more than a couple of ingredients then maybe you should stay away from it i mean everybody drinks coke every once in a while everybody has things that they probably shouldn't have every once in a while and i don't think that's an issue but i think you it's like real food that comes from there's another thing that Michael Pollan mentioned about the the if your grandparents wouldn't recognize it as food then you probably shouldn't eat it and i think there's that's a good yeah that's a good yeah, thing or great grandparents i guess yeah, uh, yeah. i think it's uh and i think that that's with especially with everything is 
100% either you're 100% keto I only eat steak every day or you're a vegan or it's mm. like mm, maybe we can be somewhere in between I don't think we were doing too badly historically yeah so mm. and also I mean well if it if it works for you fine work. yeah but don't yeah. don't shove it in my face yeah of. yeah um this might be um this might be a bit cliche as well so bear with me but the similarities between because y- you've uh, we've, we've we're going to talk a bit about a bit about your book as well and you've met some exceptional runners and would you say that there are any similarities between being a top chef and a top for instance ultra runner i w- i would definitely i mean it's a lot of hard work there's no guarantee there's no guarantee of success you have to have a passion for it if you're just driven by if you're just driven by the accolades or just driven by the the shining lights at the top you're probably gonna be miserable and fail um <laughs> i think it's it's there's definitely yeah I, but i guess the similarities every every warp of life if you aim to do something at the very top level mm. you yeah even if you if you want to be the best golfer or yeah yeah Yeah. dart player it takes (laughs) it takes a lot and i mean from a cooking perspective i've worked with many many chefs who are much much better better than i and and i guess there's there's many runners like i've worked quite hard to achieve what i've achieved and there's people who work much much harder to to achieve greater things if Mm. that makes sense so um but then again of course it's it's kind of hard to 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 compare something because running and especially ultra running is, is it's such a physical thing so it's it wouldn't be good to your body to go from zero to a hundred miler in like a year or even two years or perhaps even five years or something it takes time like physically um so that kind of that goes without saying that you need to be patient but i guess it's isn't it a bit the same with uh, if you want to work in the kitchen as a career chef it it really takes many many years to yeah i think so i think it doesn't come overnight absolutely and you can see that there's a like the industry is is full of the skill level gets less i think as people get i think there's instagram and immediate success is there I think that you feel it from a from a cooking perspective you feel it from a run inside a lot of people step up too soon race a lot of long races injure themselves and then they never ever run again it's a, it's a lot of and I think from a like like from a cooking perspective working for 16 hours a day in London dungeons it's not glamorous it's absolutely not glamorous but it was great fun and I've met some lifelong friends and I would I would do it again but it also translates rather well to ultra running because you you used to being on your feet you used to so there's that there's it's a very physical job it's not office job yeah um th- but this book that you have out now how, for how long have you known that it would be published it was we had the first meeting about it maybe was it almost it was coming up to two years ago mm. so it's been a very a long process um how have you uh, described the book to people during the process 
At first, I mean, it's changed as well because it's been such a long process. The idea for it's it 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 was aimed for trail runners to begin with, um, somewhat ultra trail runners, and as as the book as as the book grew. The, it, that was too marginalized it was too so i think it's a book for it's a book for people who's interested in running and interested in food mm. which i guess if you're interested in running by default you somewhat have to be interested in food um but at least to eat it maybe not to cook it, it yeah. at least to eat it absolutely um <laughs> and from a from a cookbook perspective it's it's always been really important to me that it's a genuinely good book Uh, that's something I've had a, a big interest in cookbooks over the years. I have hundreds of them, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And it was really important that I would try and make one that was not just from a running side of things or from a nutrition side of things, but actually have delicious food in that you want mm. to eat. And I, I hope that that's what. And it achieved. is your first book. It's my first mm -hmm. book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you've met a couple of guests in your book. Yeah. How did you choose them? First of all, who who are they, and 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 how and why did you choose them? We met with um, Ricky Lightfoot, who's based in the Lake District in England. Um, Emily Fosch by Ida Nilsson and Mimi Kotka from Sweden, who I guess you've uh, you've had all of them on. Yeah, yep. And um, Zach Miller in the United States, and Courtney DeWalter also in in uh, Colorado in the States. And basically, we were we were talking about the 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 trail running world and there's a lot of special characters and interesting people like it's full of full of people who live in vans and huts <laughs> and have done all these crazy things and first f initially was the lake district is a place that's very close to my heart so going there and ricky is a prolific runner a world-class runner based there so he also has a family and works full-time and so it, it's not all glitz and glam he works full-time as a fireman and runs to a very high level which was it was nice to get that perspective um and he also has perhaps the best name for a runner yeah, right i think so ricky lightfoot is is very <laughs> appropriate <laughs> um and then i think uh emily eder and mimi they they speak for themselves i mean they're the next level good runners mm. like world 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 class so the to the opportunity to meet with them was too good to too good to miss um zach in the states like he's a crazy he's a hundred percent or nothing he he either wins or he fails mi helicoptered off the mountain or <laughs> he's in a, such a nice guy and lives at this camp um which is a what a 10 kilometer 1500 vertical meter hike from the nearest town <laughs> <laughs> where we had to hike in food to cook for for him and whoever else happened to be camping at the at the lodge that that evening and uh and then Courtney DeWalter she's she's unbelievable she's winning 200 mile races beating the second place man by over 10 hours so so <laughs> like she's like crazy so when so we i i made a wish list of of people and basically we had no way of contacting them apart from uh emily Eder and mimi where the publishers have a have a relationship uh i just sent emails on instagram and all of them like yeah that sounds fun come <laughs> <laughs> but 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 uh, i'm guessing here that their um their resume as runners was more important than 
what they eat or yeah i think so and also from like i had no idea what um what ricky liked to eat for example and i knew that courtney often talks about the amount of candy that she eats and uh, zach um, through his instagram was a lot of pictures of burritos and junk food so and also either and emily and mimi they they are very interested in good nutritious pretty serious in a in a nice farming way, and harvesting yeah exactly and, and they sort of holistic the whole <laughs> lifestyle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's really nice to listen to the spectrum mm-hmm. ricky was somewhere in the middle zach was zach's instagram is much more junk food than his actual real life <laughs> um and Courtney is it kind of an image i think it's a bit of an image but it's fun to provoke maybe yeah i think so i think so and he he eats well generally Mm. but he does like to eat burritos and maybe four doesn't yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and and uh courtney is she she's not so food interested at all but candy and beer right candy and beer and yeah but and she she eats well i think Mm. she but without a great deal of interest, mm. if in the day that her and her husband cook. But I think her the things she enjoys is pizza and burgers and candy and beer. Mm. Well, she does something right, right? Yeah, and I think and that was something <laughs> that have like from from meeting with the runners and speaking to them a lot about food and how they feel about this, but also about running and how they it it was what really what really spoke was the enjoyment that they. Mm they loved what they do and they were very intuitive to their body they listened to what what their body was telling them if they felt like they were training too hard they would pull back they were so there was very so the food side of things was important from a but what really came through was how enjoying it was not about eating some two spoonfuls of green powder mixed with a raw egg and (laughs) it was everything was very real and i think that that was something that really spoke Mm. well i guess like for for all of your guests like people don't get to where they are if they don't have kind of the whole uh palais of of uh, they need to um uh, say I mean they need to uh they need to have a certain understanding and vision and knowledge I guess yeah being it be it like aware or unaware but but they need to have the the sense kind of the feeling yeah, yeah. absolutely it's it seems like it seems like we we are in a or maybe it's from 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 my kind of narrow perspective but there's an ongoing trend with with uh, healthy living and healthy food and, and going back to the roots and everything, um, especially in the running community. But, but what are your thoughts on, on, on how good the food industry is to match this trend with healthy food, like, for instance, in the supermarket or whatever like new products or something i suppose i don't i think it's 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 not so echoed i suppose i think is a lot of um i don't know there's there's i think if you read or if you like the the social media the running outdoors life everybody wants to buy a cottage somewhere in the woods and grow their own food and and not really work for a living 
I think the food industry or the restaurant side of things is is it's much more natural than it used to be. Definitely, people cook with vegetables. It's a lot more vegetable-driven restaurants. There's a lot like Nicholas Exter is cooking his over open fire, and he has a lot of. So there is some echo. It's hard to it's hard to say how how yeah, linked they are, and and especially like I come from a very much a restaurant side of things, and that's mm. a lot about drinking wine and eating. But then the natural wine movement is is oh, yeah. a lot stronger than than it ever ever used to be. Mm. Organic produces. There's more restaurants that are marked with the craft stamp or with. So there's there is some sort of similarities i suppose but but uh, do you think that the people are more keen to uh like to 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 also cook their own food and not only eat in 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 trendy food food joints i th- i think in big cities like well like stockholm is a it's a relatively big city people like to eat out mm. if you like eating out you like eating out um but i think i don't know this play like sweden sells what for does an one cookbook comes out every day plus I, a, I, a I few extra imagine. it's yeah. a huge i don't know how many people cook i suspect the food daily is improving i know we we certainly cook from scratch every single day that's mm. not so much snap macaroni and shit scan shit bulla so um but it's also time it's i think it's difficult if people are working full time maybe that's where people daydream you have two two parents working full time you have to try and scratch something together in a rush um that's nutritious that the kids will eat that i mean it's a hard it's a hard it balance yeah um and also i think for, for many people it still i guess it's for them it's they think it's they see it as kind of a sacrifice in some ways to eat healthy definitely um how would you want to encourage and plant thoughts for them i think it should be often people think about what you can't eat i think when you're when you're eating healthy and say oh we can't eat this because it's bad or but i think if you look at what you can eat i think that's something it's almost everything and maybe i mean we cook a, a lot we use olive oil a lot rather than butter so then naturally the the food that we cook is a little bit more southern southern european and quite heavy on vegetables and and i don't know like in, investing in a couple of good italian cookbooks or middle eastern or something where like we have like i mentioned before we have a lot of cookbooks and they're always there's always one or two in the kitchen because the inspiration especially weekday is is hard like we plan on a sunday what we're going to eat for the week it sounds extremely boring but it makes a big difference to plan on a sunday order in delivery to save a little bit of time and i think i guess if everybody gets the food delivered it's one car journey rather than every family taking a car journey um and we cook we we know what's in the cupboard we can plan it makes i think that makes a huge huge difference planning in advance and <coughs> So it always it gives the time to be healthy because you know on a Sunday what you're going to cook on the Thursday, and it's, I mean, I agree it sounds boring, but it's um, and it's a kind of sounds like a 
making it into a big thing we're like okay so we have to plan the the menu for the entire week and so on but it's also when it comes to change of behaviors it's yes it will be a bit awkward and tough the first couple of weeks two three weeks but then after a while it's you get into yeah. it and you kind of hopefully discover the the the, the positive benefits and like to, to to get home from work pick the kids up and know that when you open the fridge you what you need is yeah. there rather than like oh what did i forget yeah exactly it takes a little bit of getting used to but it's it, yeah it's, it makes a i think it makes a big difference because you you get that when you have a little bit more time that's when you find the inspiration rather than on a tuesday night when the kids are about to have a breakdown because they're hungry and tired and the inspiration is definitely not there um so uh this was your second podcast and you you told me before recording that that you will do another one this evening yes so tell us about the the first first experience and the, the the next one where can we listen to you the first one is an australian podcast called cook in the books it's um it's a it's a restaurant industry it's a it's a chef i used to work with who emigrated to australia so he talks to a lot of people in the business and from very high-end chefs to wine producers to cheesemakers and it's quite interesting he spoke to another ultra runner actually called um, patrick who's a chef in australia um that's called cook in the books i think it's available wherever podcasts are available <laughs> and um then this evening i'm doing one with a with a new zealand based podcast called dirt church radio and they speak to all sorts of elite ultra runners and and um trail runners and yeah it's pretty easy going i think and cool should be fun um where can where can people find out more about you and get the book hopefully the book is either available on i have a website billy white And then that little line, dash, is it called a dash, a sideways line, mm -hmm. .com, um where that has some information. I'm quite semi-active on Instagram, BillyWhite43, and also through the publisher's website, Gavel, Gavel Falog, mm. I think it's .com. Um, yeah. yeah, there's plenty of information. Plenty and of there will be uh, links and all you need on the Husky Podcast website as well after this interview. Um, anything fun and exciting on the horizon for the coming coming month? This is not is not big running months. Winter time in Sweden, though. But I've got on Sunday. There's a race called Hammarby Hammarby Alpine Marathon. Oh yeah, twenty two loops of Hammarby Backen, mm -hmm. um, which I did last year, which was surprisingly one of the most fun races I've ever done. Wow! Um, just because it's it's a it's a short loop. The start is a bit of a party feel and really low key. Um, Anders, the guy who organizes it, is super, super friendly and nice. And it's this year. There's a lot of a lot of evenly paced middle-aged men running, so there can be a fun race in the middle of the pack. <laughs> so I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Um, Good luck on Sunday, and, and thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet. The music is made by Joel Mull.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.